Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. But I want to talk to you about rise and shine. You know, whenever I think about rising and shining, whenever I think about light, it's, it's hard not to think about my guy, Thomas Edison. Now, Thomas Edison did not invent the light bulb, but, but he had a dream. And his dream was that he would put light into every home. He, he wanted to make light accessible, and he wanted to make light affordable. And he was so compelled, he said, there will come a day when only rich people will light candles. And I was like, that kind of came to fruition to some degree, right? Because now candles are a little bit, at least in America, are, are more of, uh, they're optional, right? A special occasion, they're, they're, they're a little extra. And, uh, and he failed a lot of times trying to put light into every house. Some say that he failed over a thousand try, times trying to figure out how do we actually do this. And I'm so grateful that, that one man's dream, one man's passion to light up the earth has led to not only our homes, but our cities and even our world being lit up because one guy said, light is essential. Light is important. In fact, uh, Jackie and I, we are chicken lovers. We have chickens. We're like backyard chicken people. Uh, so we don't have like a ranch or anything. We, we, we purchased chickens probably about six years ago was our first round. And then we had to move from that spot. So we had to get rid of the chickens. And then we just got some more chickens recently. And I remember when we first got our chickens, we went to the pet store and the guy said, you need feed, you need this, you need that. Oh, there it goes. You need feed, you need this, you need that. But what you really need to make sure you have for backyard chickens is light. And he said, you got to buy this little heat lamp right here. And he said, distance is so important. You got to make sure that it's the right distance. If it's not the right distance, it's, it's not going to work well. Uh, because he said it's not only important that it's the right distance so that the chickens stay warm, but he said the heat also produces a hormone in the chicken that promotes growth. I thought, wow, that's, I didn't know light was so important. And so, so we're dialoguing a, a little bit more, and he said, yeah, if the chickens get cold, they'll get sick, and they'll die. And I started thinking this week, how much we depend on light. Like light is so essential for life. And I don't know about you, but if you are a follower of Jesus in the house today, God has called us to be lights in the midst of darkness. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that uh, you, you don't have that weight or that burden, but I'm hoping that you catch the heart of God today because God is after you, that you're here not by accident, you're tuning in not by accident because God wants to shine some light in your darkness. But, but he's called us to, to be lights in the midst of darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but that can feel like a big task because I don't always feel adequate to shine light. Am I the only human in, in this place? You guys with me on that? But I, I feel inadequate at times. Like that seems like such a huge task. You want me to be light in the midst of darkness and it feels a little bit heavier when the darkness seems to be prevailing and overwhelming. Even though a little bit of light can affect the darkness, it still can be intimidating. I'm so 
grateful for 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 that says, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are power- powerful. In other words, God chose the foolish things of the world, the inadequate things of the world to confuse the wise, to shine brightly. Now, now let me break this down for you a little bit more. Anybody ever heard of the star Cyrus? Cyrus is the alpha star. It's the big dog. That's what they call it. It's literally called the big dog. It's the brightest stars. It's, it's, it's 8.6 light years away from us. Its radius is 740,000. Its radius is two times larger than the sun, burning at 8,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh, two times hotter than the sun. I mean, this thing is, is huge, and you can see from the image here, it dominates the sun. Like nothing can compare. No star can compare to Cyrus. But isn't it funny that no one, no one talks about Cyrus? Like they, they don't say, hey, uh, Cyrus is about to set. So excited to see Cyrus rise this morning. Like, like nobody says that. Nobody talks about Cyrus. Only thing we talk about is the sun. But look how much bigger. I mean, this thing burns brighter. It's bigger. It's larger. It's more majestic. I mean, it is huge. It is the big dog. But God says, yeah, this big dog, even though it can be seen without a telescope, this big dog is not going to dominate. Matter of fact, I'm going to take something that's a little bit smaller, a little bit more foolish, and everybody's going to talk about that. I mean, just think about that from the moment. The the one main thing that separates Cyrus from the sun, the reason why the sun gets so much attention and the reason why we say, hey, oh, isn't it so good the sun is shining today? Oh, I'm so grateful the smoke is, you know, cleared a little bit so I can actually see the sun, right? Man, it's California. We are getting it. But, but I think, I think the, the one thing that separates these two, it's not a big, big thing, but it's very big. It's, it's not rocket science, but it's important to understand that the one thing that separates Cyrus from the sun, if you're taking mental notes, you can jot this down, is distance. The sun is just a lot closer to us. And, and distance has a way of keeping us from shining. And I, I want to encourage us today because God has not called, God has called us to be distant in certain ways, but God has not called us to be distant from the world. And I, I think this is, this is so big. In fact, Paul helps us understand this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I'm speaking to followers of Jesus. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, so grateful you're here. If you're tuning in online, so grateful. Just lean back, sit back, enjoy the ride. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, you got to be careful how you think here. Because we are not living here as citizens of just, you know, I mean, we're residents here. We are citizens of the United States of America, so forth and so on. But, but Paul said there, there's a greater citizenship as followers of Jesus that we are, we are citizens, our citizenship is in heaven. we got to be heavenly minded. we got to think from that place, and we are here awaiting, shining bright in the midst of darkness as we wait on the return of Christ. So, so we're waiting eagerly. 
We're waiting, we're, we're anticipating uh, uh, the, the return of Jesus. It, it's shaping how we live. It's shaping how we invest our life. He says, we're citizens of heaven. Like just that one thought should shape and change and be such a good filter as you, got, you and I are walking this earth. And, and so Peter elaborates a little bit. Peter goes on to say, so as a result, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. How many of you guys know that sin will diminish your shine? He says, he says, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Meaning, while you're living here, there is going to be a prevailing darkness. But you are not to be overwhelmed with darkness. Rather, you are to overwhelm the darkness with light. Like, you're not, you're, you're not citizens here. You're not, you're, not, you're not living for this life. So our, our, our citizenship is in heaven. Our hearts are set on eternity. We're waiting for the return of Christ. So we're not trying to get involved in some of these sinful desires that wage war against our soul and diminish our influence. He's saying, this is not your home. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is, is that we're called to be set apart in the world, but this is very important. We are not separated from the world. God has not called us to be separated from the world, but separated in the world. It's a big difference. Like God has not called us just to, you know, have a little subculture like, oh, there's just so much darkness out here. Let's just huddle up together. It's getting dark. Let's stay out of the darkness. No, that, that's called a subculture. God has called us to invade culture. God has called, called us to live counter-culturally. So, so we're, living, we're living separated in it. I mean, we're set apart unto God to live lives that the world looks at and says, something's different about you. But we're living separated in the world so that our lights can shine bright in the midst of the darkness around. But, but can I just tell you, separation from the world will diminish your influence. Separation from the world in an improper way, in, in more of a silo subculture way where I'm just going to hide from the darkness, that will diminish your light and keep you and I from shining. And that's just not what God has called us to do. God has, has called us, like Rihanna says, to shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> that's who we're called. That's what we are called to shine bright in the midst of darkness. And so Paul the apostle is writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And it's very contradicting. It's very contradicting. Because Paul is writing from prison and he's writing to encourage them. He's writing them to, to uplift their faith. He's writing from a place of confinement, which is completely contradicting to culture. Like, why would you write from prison to encourage somebody else? All my friends that have been in prison um, really appreciate letters being written to them. Are you with me on that? But, but Paul's like, no, no, no. I, I want you to know that the gospel is not chained. I may be chained, but the gospel cannot be chained. And so he's writing to encourage this church. And, and Paul is going to help us today understand what it looks like to be separated in the world, but not separated from the world, how to shine bright, how to rise and shine in the midst of darkness. And the first thing that Paul is going to give us a little clue on is that we have to guard our grumble. There's some things that we have to guard that if we're not careful, it'll create distance between us and the world. Almost where we're like the world's like, I want nothing to do with you. We, we got to guard our grumble. I got an amen from the back. Come on. Thank you, my, 
little one. I don't know. I can't make it out. Boy, girl, but thank you, little one. Um, but but you, you got to understand, he said, I want you to, to guard your grumble. There's so many things to grumble about. Uh, we went to the movies for the first time. I'm having a moment. <laughs> went to the movies for the first time yesterday. They're open in San Ramon. And uh, yeah, so everybody's like, no way. Why did I come to church today? I should have been at the movies. But it was so funny. I'm getting ready to preach this message. And Jackie and I, we go to Pasta Primavera to, to get our food to go. We're going to eat in the parking lot real quick before we go into the movie. And so we get to the parking lot or we get to the restaurant and it's not ready. And we have to wait like 15 extra minutes. So now we're going to miss out. So now I told her, I said, babe, we're going to have to break the law. Like we're going to have to bring our food inside the theater. Don't judge me. Some of you guys have done that plenty of times. Candy, water, water's like 10 bucks. You're like, I'm not paying $10 for water. And so, so Jackie goes in, we get to the theater. She goes in to get our tickets and I have our salads, just salads, just nothing big, just salads. So I, I try to hide them in my jacket and this is just like the Lord. I'm so shady, your pastor is a criminal. And, and so I, I try to hide them in my jacket. I got a cast, I, I'm just not loving life, right? Like trying to make this work. I'm like, Jack, how, like you have a little cardigan, wrap your own, right? And so I, I get out of the car and, this, and, I, and, I, and I drop her salad. And then my, my brother and my sister-in-law pull up and I'm just, I look at my brother, I'm like, man, I don't know why, I'm just grumbling. And he doesn't even know that. I was just, I was just grumbling. He's like, oh man, it's not that bad. I'm like, oh man, this is, come on. Like, how would Jackie have to go inside? She could have just picked up her, just grumbling. It's so easy to grumble. Like, like it, just, it just flows so fluently. And Paul says, no, no, you got to guard your grumble. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, this word everything in the Greek means everything. It means everything. And I thought, man, this is like, this is such a hard task. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It literally has the notion of murmuring, like, rah, 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 rah. Anybody know anybody like that? And, and, and it's, it's, it's complaining. I, it doesn't take long to see, like, if you turn on the news, in 10 seconds, they can give you 20 bad stories. Like, it's just so fast. And you're looking at the world, you're like, this is a mess. Right? I mean, after the debate, everybody was like, this is a mess. So much grumbling after that. Right? And, and, and it just gets into our soul sometimes. And next thing you know, we're just walking around. Blah, 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 Facebook, blah, 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 blah. It's exhausting. And, and, and sometimes we forget that the people we're watching on the news are human. Even the ones that we don't like. We may not like their report, but we got to understand that they are still a soul in the balance. Sometimes we miss that. People that we're reading about, there are souls in the balance. And let, let that just sink in for a moment. Because I think in the day and the world that we live in, and if you're online and I just went red, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. <laughs> technology, trying to live our best life in COVID. So, so I think what ends up happening is, is we grow numb to this stuff and our hearts start to get calloused and hard. And then we start turning, we start grumbling, we start getting angry, 
we start murmuring. And nobody likes to be around that person. It's like that person, it's like if you are in my life and it's you're just constantly doing that or you constantly have something to say, you constantly, and it's always rah, rah, rah. You know what that creates is distance. It totally affects our shine. Like, like nobody wants, like complaining about your spouse all the time, your job all the time, your situation, blah, 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 blah. Listen, there's a difference between being honest and needing help and processing. But complaining is grumbling when you're always processing, but you're never making any changes. It's like you're getting all the counsel in the world, but you're not making any moves. And then you just over and over and over. And God's like, I want to heal you. It's like, not yet. I want to complain just a little bit more. I get it. And trust me, I get it. Like, if you're kind of a grumbler right now, there's a greater issue behind the grumble. But Paul is saying, man, we, we have to guard this thing. It, it's, it's the worst when somebody is not very encouraging to you that you have to be in contact with. And they're just like, man, your shoes. I just don't like your shoes. And, and you're, what's wrong with your hair? Your hair is just always like, can you? And, it, and there's just a moment where you're like, just Just be quiet. And, and, and what ends up happening is people not only want to distance from you, but they start to realize, man, if that's who your God is and what it's like to walk with Jesus, then maybe I should distance myself from him too. I, I think like, and this is the, the detriment, and I use Facebook because it's just hostile. I don't even think Facebook likes Facebook anymore. And it's a great tool. Don't get me wrong. We use social media all the time. Love social media. But can I just tell you, I've heard more Christians disgusted with Christians. I'm like, if Christians are disgusted with Christians, what is the world thinking? Like, stay away and keep your God. I'm not saying there's not a place to speak truth. I'm just saying it's really hard. There's a lot of statements on social media that should be conversations. And that's why you hear me say from the platform right now, listen, we are not ignorant of what's happening in our world concerning, you know, politics, concerning division, concerning racial unrest. No, but what we offer you is to say, hey, if you're struggling there, please call us, reach out to us. It's so much better with a conversation that we can actually process biblically and come to a Christ-centered conclusion that ends in at least understanding. Are you guys with me on that? And putting Christ at the forefront. And so, so Paul's like, listen, grumbling creates distance. you got to guard your grumble. And he says this next. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I remember a rabbi heard a great story. He was having some issues with his congregation. And he said, man, every time we come to service and we get to the prayer part, some people stand, some people sit. And then they just argue. You should be standing. No, you should be sitting. And so no matter what the rabbi says, he's like, I just can't get these people to like understand. Like, what in the world is going on? And so he contacts an older rabbi. He said, what's the tradition, rabbi? Because my congregation just argues about who should sit, who should stand. Like, what, what is it? What is the tradition? Is it for people to stand when we pray? Rabbi said, no. He says, is it for people to sit? Rabbi says, no. He says, well, then all we have is arguing and chaos. And the rabbi's like, that is the tradition. 
The bottom line is this. Nobody likes to be around arguing. When Jackie and I argue, our kids politely dismiss themselves. And then you feel super guilty because like, what type of example are you, Pastor Matt, right? But, but it's real. Nobody likes to be in that environment. You know what's so incredible is this word arguing in the Greek. This is going to blow your mind. It actually means to doubt. You know that a lot of our complaining, a lot of our arguing results in doubt. The res- it's, it's almost like James says this. The reason why these fights and quarrels are among you is because you're not getting what you want there, there's something selfish happening on the inside of you. You're coveting, you're, 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 you're jealous, you're envious. And because you can't get what you want, you fight, you kill, you grumble, all of this stuff. Because what it is underneath all of that is there is a doubt that God is enough. There is a doubt that if I don't get this, I'm not going to be satisfied. There is a doubt and a loss of hope that says this is too big. This person has gone too far. There's no way I can reach them. It's too messed up. I'm too small, and we lose sight that God can. Now, I'm not talking about just normal dialogues and, you know, intense fellowship once in a while, but I'm just talking about this perpetual sense of arguing and complaining, right? We lose sight that God can actually still move. And so a lot of times we're complaining and we're arguing because we're doubting either that it's possible for a God to change a situation or God's ability is not strong enough for the situation. And so we lose hope. We start to grumble. We start to live a life of argument. And then what happens is, is we create distance. We create distance from people and relationship. We create distance from the world and our light starts to diminish Paul continues and he says, so do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He says, I I want you to become blameless. Now, blameless isn't perfection. It just means there's no compromise. It means that there is a consistency in regards to righteousness in your life. Not perfection, but consistency. How many of you guys know that people are just looking for consistency today? Stability. Everything is constantly changing. And that's why communion is such a beautiful thing. Like I said last week, it always causes us to correct back to the one that never changes in a world that's constantly changing. And just a consistency in our life, a consistency of righteousness. And, and then he says, he, I, I want you to be pure. And, and pure just simply means to be unmixed. Like, like there's not a little bit of sin, a little bit of Jesus. Like there's a consistency and there's a purity. There's an unmixed aspect of our lives. And and this, this is really important because Paul is harping on this because the world, can I just tell you, is looking for consistency, but they're also looking for authenticity. Like the world is looking for something real. They have real problems in need of a real God. They're wondering, man, what is true? What is real? What is authentic? But they're not only looking for authenticity, they're also looking for accusations. And so when we're living inconsistent lives and our lives are tainted, you know, it's kind of a double life that we're living. The world looks and says, I knew he wasn't for real. I knew that God wasn't really that good. Look at all the complaining. Look at all the arguing. Look at all the stuff. And they're like, nah. So Paul says you got to guard your grumble. You got to guard your grumble. The second thing that Paul encourages us with is to guard your grip. 
Like you got to be careful of what you're holding on to in this season. He says in Philippians 2, 13 and 15, he says, then you will shine. So this continues the passage. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, holding what? Firmly to the word of life, to the scriptures, to Christ, to the gospel. I want you to hold firmly. I want you to hold your position. I want you to hold your gaze. You ever gaze at something and, and it's, it's just, you're just captured by the beauty of it? We talked about last week, Mary was just captured by the beauty of Jesus. I just got to look for a little bit longer. I got to look a little bit deeper into. I got to stay here for a moment. I'm reminded of Peter when he steps out onto the ferocious sea of Galilee. The waves are being tossed back and forth. And, and Peter, with his gaze, holding fast to Christ, the word of life, Peter steps out and begins to walk upon the very thing that should consume him. How many know in that moment Peter is shining. Like he's, he's overcoming everything that should be consuming him, not because he's amazing, but because he's holding firmly. His gaze is fixed on the word of life, on Christ. And the world gets baffled by that stuff. The world looks and says, you should be dying right now. But you're still standing with joy. Paul, you're in prison and you are writing to encourage people. Like that baffles the world because what should consume us is not consuming us when our gaze is fixed on the word of life. When our heart is set on the beauty, the majesty, the wonder of scripture. I mean, how important it is for scripture to, 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 to just dominate in our life. I mean, this, this, is, this is really huge. Paul is, is writing from prison, encouraging. Why? He is walking upon the walls of the very cell that confines him. He cannot be confined because he's holding firmly. His gaze is fixed. I'm not a citizen of the earth. I'm waiting on Christ's return. I'm not getting mixed up in all the junk. My gaze is fixed. My hope is secure. Doubts, my doubts are eased. He is sovereign. He's in control and so can I just tell you that, listen, when we begin to distance ourselves, when we don't guard our grip, because we want to hold on to things that sometimes we should be letting go. And God is like, will you hold fast to the word of life? Because if not, it begins to diminish our faith. And let me just give you a bunch of scriptures so you know that I'm not lying. Faith. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It affects our faith. It affects our stability. Right And our fruitfulness, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It affects, listen, our direction. Right, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God affects our joy. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It affects our life, but he answered this, that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is a huge one for our day. It affects our maturity. Paul says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of, of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, holding fast 
to the word of life, gripping on to the word of life, to the word of righteousness, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Can I just tell you that when, when your faith is affected, and starts to diminish, that when your stability and your fruitful starts to diminish, when your direction starts to diminish, when your joy starts to diminish, when your life starts to diminish and your maturity starts to diminish, so will your light. So will your shine. And if you can't discern between good and evil, you will hold on to the very thing that you shouldn't. If you can't discern on what you need to hold on to and what needs to let go, you'll hold on to insecurity. You'll hold on to false identities. You'll get everything confused. You should be focused on heaven, but you're super focused on earth. You know, in an unhealthy way, you're going to hold on to grudges. You're going to hold on to stuff that God is saying, no, 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 you need to hold fast to my word and let go of that. And we get stuck. You need to guard your grip, Paul said. Holding fast to the word of life, because in that place you will shine like the brightest of stars in the land. Last one is this. You guys still with me? Last one is this. You're placed with purpose. You're placed with purpose. Jesus is going to kind of land our plane today because I think he ties all this up in a bow. Right here in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, now, salt is used for a variety of things, right? It's used for flavor. Um, it, it's, it's used for, for, uh, for taste and for flavor. It's, it's used for a lot of things. But Jesus is talking specifically about a, a preservative. Because in Jesus' day, they didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't just go in the fridge. Like if they had some food, they had to cover it with salt. My father and I, we talked about this the other day. Some people to this day, they still cover meat with salt. And they put it in the garage and then they eat it later. I don't know why they do that. But they used to do that back in the day when they didn't have the, the ability to preserve things. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the world is decaying and is desperate need of preservation. Jesus is speaking of our influence in the earth. Now, pure salt can never lose its flavor. But in Jesus' day, many of the salt... Uh, many of the salt was mixed because they would get it from the Dead Sea. So there would, there would be some gypsum, there'd be some other minerals. And so sometimes the salt would not be able to hold its flavor. And so in that case, what they would do, they know that it's impure. They'll throw it into the garden and they'll trample it into the soil as fertilizer. And so, so Jesus said, but that's not what I've called you. I've called you to be salt of the earth, to be pure salt. But then he also says, I've called you to be light. He says, you are the light of the world like a city on top of a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed. Everybody say placed. placed. On a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Paul said, you're pure light. You are light of the world. Now, you gotta understand, Jesus is coming off the Sermon on the Mount where he starts saying all these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and he just starts going down this list of, 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 you know, blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. And the disciples are like, we're ruled by Rome, man. Like, it's survival of the fittest here. And Jesus is like, no, there's a reversal of values. You see, as Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, could you imagine for a moment that they just thought, Oh, yeah, we're called to be light to the world. These guys traveled at most 80 miles from their 
place of residence. And that was just for the festivals in Jerusalem. Like if you take the distance from Galilee to Jerusalem, it's about 80 miles. The average disciple on a regular basis traveled no more than 15 miles around them. And Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. They're like, it doesn't make sense. I, I, I don't understand. Jesus is like, yes, it's a reversal of values. It doesn't make sense now. But little did they know that he was going to use them to transform the face of the planet. And their influence, their light, uh, and, and what God had done through them is still shining bright for you and I today. A reversal of values. Guys, listen, you have been placed strategically. Strategically. Like, like a lamp in this, in this ancient culture, it, it was placed high in a specific spot in the house where it would produce the maximum light. Can I just tell you, you have been placed strategically. Because listen, as a preservative, because we're living in a world of decay. Can I just tell you, marriages are decaying in need of preservation. Broken, brokenness. People all around us hurting in pain. Loss of hope. Decaying. We live in a world that it doesn't take long to see that it's decaying. And God says, I've called you to be here as a preservative, as salt in the earth. And I've placed you strategically as a lamp to be a light. In uh, and, and, and whatever area that, that produces maximum light, like God has placed you right now in your maximum place to protect and reflect the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And you and I are bearers of that light to reflect the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. See, the moon does not give light. I don't know if you knew that. The moon just simply reflects the light of the sun. You know, there, there's a place in, in Austria where the Alps cover the city. The city's totally dark. They spent billions of dollars trying to bring light into the city because it's essential for life. And so they put big old reflectors on the top of the Alps to shine down in the city. And you can see these people just gather around the small little bit of light because they're desperate for it. They need it. And so can I just encourage you this, that you and I are called to reflect the light and the beauty of the gospel that people so desperately need. And so Jesus said, your deeds, man, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everybody will praise your heavenly father. Like you and I are called to shine bright like stars, that the deeds and our works should be equivalent to the world looking at them and saying, there's got to be a God. And it doesn't take that much effort in our day. Hospitality, where is that today? We don't even talk to our neighbors most of the time. But Jesus is saying, you should live in such a way where the world looks at your good deeds and says, like, like if somebody were to look at your social media account, would they just say, yes? Got super quiet in here. <laughs> and, and, and so, so I'm, I'm just saying this. I'm, I'm just saying this. Is that light God has called us to be salt and light in the earth. And maybe you're trying. Maybe you're like, man, Pastor, man, oh, I'm giving it all I got. I just don't really feel like I'm being effective. You know what's the beautiful thing about light? Is light works even when you can't see it working. You know that as the sun is reflecting on your body, I, I put on sunblock, otherwise I'll get super burned. But I do appreciate the vitamin D that it's producing when I can't see it. And when it's not there, all of a sudden that deficiency starts to show up. Can I just tell you when your food spoils or when it doesn't taste good, you know when salt isn't there. It's, it, light and salt, they, they can work when you don't even think that they're working. 
Like you put salt on top of a meat to preserve it. You don't see the actual preserving that it's doing. You just see salt on top of the deal. So can I just tell you that, that you might be feeling like, I'm not sure if I'm really making an impact. And maybe you're not in certain ways and God is calling you to step out a little bit more. But some of you guys I know, man, you are doing your best to be a light in the midst of darkness. And can I just tell you, you may not see it working, but you, listen, if, if light isn't there and salt isn't there, you feel the deficiency. And I'm telling you, you are making a bigger impact than you think. Let me close with this. Anybody ever heard of Malcolmson? He's an assistant coach for the Seattle Seahawks with Coach Carroll, all you football fans. Incredible story. And I just, I, I want to wrap up with, with this guy's story. He, incredible story. He uh, was a senior at USC. He was a writer for the paper. And he wanted to go out with a bank. So he's like, what kind of a story could I do? And he found out that it was during the season where the football players would walk on to try out for UFC. UFC was undefeated at the time. They're the best team in the game. And, and so he said, that's a great story. I'm just going to interview the players. You know, I probably won't be able to interview anybody on the field, but at least I can get a good gauge. I think it'll make for a great story. Somebody challenged him. They said, well, why don't you walk on and try out for the team? And he's like, oh, man, that, that's a great idea. He's like, man, I can humiliate myself. I'm six foot, like 160 pounds. I'm going to get tore up. I'll write the story on how I couldn't make it. I'll kind of, you know, play the story that way. And so he did. He tried out for the team, and he went and got beat up. Went home that day, getting ready to write the story. The next day, he gets a call from one of the coaches on the team. says, hey, Ben, you made the cut. He said, man, coach wants to speak with you. Can you come down? He's like, oh, man, this is a joke. Coach Carroll has a sense of humor. And so he's like, they're going to have cameras. This is going to make even for a better story. So he goes down there, and the coach, is, coach Carroll is dribbling the basketball, and he says, you can run fast, and you can catch the ball. Then he passes in the ball and says, you in? He says, yeah, I'm in. So incredible story. He gets on the team. He's training with the players, you know, starts playing in the game, and and then he injures his shoulder really bad, like one of those non-comeback soldier injuries. This is all happening in the midst of one year. So he works really hard on the rehabilitation. You can go look at his story on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. But uh, he works really hard to come back. He ends up getting back to the last game. It's Notre Dame, the biggest game of the year. He gets in the game. Everybody's shouting. And it's an incredible story if we just stop there. But see, Ben is a Christian, and he knew that he was placed on purpose. He was placed specifically on purpose. So during this time, he's like, I, got, I know that I didn't make this team just for me. So we started a prayer meeting. Nobody showed up. He's like, well, God, I know you got purpose for me, but at least one person could have showed up. Started a Bible study. Nobody showed up. So he's like, man, I thought like I was placed here on purpose. What in the world is going on? And he could only remember this verse, Habakkuk 1, chapter 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So we had one more idea. He said, we got invited to play at the Rose Bowl. I'm going to put some Bibles in, in the lockers just with a little gift. It's December, greatest Christmas gift on the planet, Jesus Christ. Let the dice fall where they may. So he comes in for practice the next week and he sees the garbage cans half full of Bibles scattered all over the locker room, trampled. The only Bible that really wasn't touched was his. And so he's just like, man, I, did, I gave my best. And so he, he, he just figured from that point forward, he was just gonna try to be a light. 
I'm just going to talk to guys. And that was really tough because practice, nobody really wants to have the conversation. And, and so then they went to the Rose Bowl. They played. And after they played this, one of the, the guys came up the next, next couple of days and said, hey, man, did you hear what happened to Mario? He's like, no, what happened? He said, man, he, he, he got into an accident, drove off a cliff. He's like, what? And Ben felt so convicted because he's like, man, I invited him to prayer. I invited him to a Bible study, but I never shared the gospel with him. So he goes to the funeral, and, and one of the Bibles is on the casket. And, and he, he sits there for a moment, and it was almost like God sent him into him saying, it's okay, like, you're okay, I got this. And he just kind of left it at that. Four years passed, Coach Carroll went to the Seattle Seahawks, Ben went with him as, as an assistant coach, and somebody invited him to a Young Life meeting, which is like a Bible study for young adults and, and, and high school students. And he gets there, and one of his uh, USC players was actually leading. His name was Tyler. He's like, Tyler, what are you, like, you're leading this thing? Like, you were a little bit crazy and wild. Like, how did the, all this come to be? He said, man, on that day, right before the Rose Bowl, he said, man, our Bibles are filled with, lo our lockers are filled with Bibles. He says, I was walking out to the field, and I heard a voice. You guys think it's God, but it wasn't. It was Mario. And Mario came out and Tyler was a backslidden Christian and, and he came out and he says, what, what, what is this all about? And Tyler threw his Bible away. He's like, it's, it's the Bible, man. Like, you never seen a Bible? It's about Jesus. So Mario comes back later that week and says, Tyler, man, Jesus is for real. He says, so what do I do now? Tyler's like, well, we can pray. So he leads him to Jesus in that moment, rededicates his life. And God just set this whole course. The whole time, Ben just thought, it's, it's not working. Can I just tell you the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God that if you don't feel like you matter, God will move the hearts of coaches, teams, all these events just for a Mario. Just for a Mario. And so, so, so I'm here today, today to say many of you are doing a whole lot better than you think. Don't stop shining. Don't quit. Keep planting seeds. Keep watering. And some of you today just need to know that God is pursuing you and it's time to surrender. It's time to go all in. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for our time together. Listen, if you're here today or you're tuning in online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, God is pursuing you today. God is mindful of you. He sees you. If you say, Pastor Matt, I, I need, either need to rededicate or surrender my life to Jesus for the very first time, would you just slip up your hand? If there's anybody here that would say, that's me. If you're at home, you can slip up your hand too. I can't see you, but Jesus can. If there's anybody here that says, man, I just need to surrender today. I need to give my life to Jesus. Man, you're here today and, and you say, man, Pastor Matt, I, I gotta get back in the game. I gotta let my light shine. I've been grumbling a little bit too much. I've been holding on to things I shouldn't hold to. And I forget that I'm placed strategically. If that's you, I just want to say, man, welcome back. Because you still got your spot on the team. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would come, Holy Spirit. Can we pray this prayer? Just say, Lord Jesus, for everybody that had raised their hand and those of you guys are online that want to receive Christ, just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I give my life to you. I ask that you'd forgive me for my sin. I surrender today. I let it go and I'm grabbing onto you. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me. I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising.
rising from the dead, that I would have life. Thank you for pursuing me and not giving up. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.